He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Lord God, I ask for myself and for us that we could hear these hard words of John the Baptist and that they would make us soft people. That we would hear these words as what they are, a call to wake up, a call to see you, Lord, as you are coming into the world. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we are in, definitively, deep into the season of Advent. And Advent is about waiting. And waiting is painful, difficult, unpleasant, unwelcome work. People don't like waiting. I don't like waiting. You don't like waiting. In fact, people don't like waiting so much that they did a study where they put people in a room and asked them to be quiet, but also gave them the option of shocking themselves. Not just with a little bit of voltage, like a little, oh, that's fun, but with an amount that would hurt. And about 35% of women and about 67% of men chose to shock themselves instead of sitting in a room and waiting. We are bad at waiting. And yet here at the beginning of the church calendar, we have this whole season dedicated to waiting. Waiting for God to act. Waiting for God to come into the world. And we try to soften it a little bit. That's what the Advent calendar is all about, right? It's full of chocolates. And this is the first year where I have two daughters that are both aware that there is a thing that has chocolate in it and that they are supposed to share it. And this is not going very well. (laughs) And a couple of nights ago, I found my two-year-old pushing furniture around (laughs) to climb up, claw her way up to where I had hidden the Advent calendar to get her chocolate, as she called it. But that's not quite the image. Chocolate, getting chocolate in Advent is not quite the image. And the image, the poster child of Advent is John the Baptist. And the author, the preacher, Fleming Rutledge, she makes the observation that she's never seen an Advent calendar with John the Baptist on it, right? And that made me think, like, well, what if somebody tapped into this niche market where 
you had this crazy wild-eyed prophet dressed in cameled hair. And there were 25 boxes in there. And then every time you open it, you either got a little locust, you know, because he ate locusts, or like a little bit of honey and you never knew which day you were going to get which. That could be kind of exciting. So you're welcome to try to market that. But here we have John the Baptist, and he's the definitive figure of Advent. This week and last week are both devoted to the figure of John the Baptist. Why? Why is he the captain of waiting, the prophet that is given for us to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord? John, as Jay has been saying, Advent is not the season that we want, but it is the season that we need. And in many ways, John the Baptist is not the prophet that we would want, but he is the prophet that we need. And we're going to look at that tonight. John is something like an early warning system. So we live in Texas, right? If you see the sky turn green and you hear a certain siren, you know it's time to get in your bathtub and pull your mattress on top of you because a tornado is coming. That early warning system is a mercy. It's telling you something is about to happen. Something decisive is about to happen. And that's what John is. He's the person that wakes you up in the middle of the night and says the house is on fire. Nobody likes to be woken up in the middle of the night. I woke up, somehow my five-year-old snuck up on me. I don't know how she did it. Usually she's very loud. But the other day she was right here and she said boo. And it was five in the morning and I did not like that. (laughs) Nobody likes that. Unless the house is on fire, then it is a mercy. And that's what John is. He's an early warning system. Who is John? He's the last of the prophets, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He stands firmly with one foot in the old age and one foot in the new age. And he is the one who is the voice crying in the desert. He is the one that God sent after centuries of silence to usher in the coming of the Messiah, the last of the prophets, the voice in the wilderness. And what is he crying? He's crying, wake up, wake up. God is about to act. And he's saying these words in the desert in order to make the way straight for the Lord so that the Lord can come in. And that requires some demolition work. Mountains have to be cast down and valleys have to be brought up. If you've ever seen a movie that portrays what it was like to cut tunnels into mountains so that we could have trains across our country. You have some idea of what it would take to cast down a mountain, what it would take to fill up a valley. And that's what needs to happen. That's what needs to happen in Israel. That's what needs to happen in our own hearts in order for the way of the Lord to be made straight. So that is who John is. He is that voice crying in the wilderness. And the place from which he cries is just as important as the who. The where is so important. Where is John? Where do we find John the Baptist preaching these hard words? Well, he's in the wilderness, but he's also baptizing at the Jordan. Just in the same way that he stands in the old age and in the new age, he stands at the boundary line between the wilderness and the promised land. Just as Israel came into the promised land through the Jordan, he is taking Israel back to the beginning of the story. And he's talking about fruit. Be fruitful. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You think of the promised land as the land of milk and honey, as the land that is fruitful. And John is saying it is not enough that there is a fruitful land. There must be a fruitful people. And you, Israel, have not been fruitful. 
So John the Baptist, this voice stands at that boundary line. He calls people back to the beginning, to the place of repentance so that they might pass through the water anew and go back into the land to be fruitful. And what is he calling them to? He's calling them to bear fruit, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, he says. He's got a great opening line. You brood of vipers, you, you children of snakes. That is not a way to win friends and influence people. He hasn't gone through any like charming courses or networking courses. You brood of vipers, who told you, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's an early warning system, but he's saying, how do you know what it is that's going on? And then he gives this great command, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. He goes on to say, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It is a definitive moment. The ax is laid at the root of the tree. It's all about to happen. You need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This idea of good fruit, don't just think of the R word good, but think of a word that means something like good and beautiful and wise. The older translations say, you know, bear fruit in bef- that befits repentance. Befits is a nice word that we don't use anymore. But what is, what is, what is appropriate? What fits well? And I think I'm getting a new microphone. Now I'm doing stand-up. Um, so what is John calling them to? He's calling them to bear fruit. What is befitting? Good fruit that is good and beautiful and wise. And fruit comes from a tree and he's saying, if that tree doesn't bear fruit, it's gonna get cut down. This is the definitive moment. This is decisive. And he cuts them off at the pass. He knows where their mind is gonna go. So he says, don't think to yourself that we're children of Abraham because God can make children of Abraham out of stones. Don't rely on your pedigree. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And the crowd asks the right question. (laughs) What then shall we do? If it's all going down right now, if this is the definitive moment, the ax is at the root of the trees, what then shall we do? And it's this word, this church word that we know, that we're familiar with, that we think, that we understand, but it's a deep word, it's a hard word. Repent, repentance. We associate this idea of turning with repentance, that you're going one way and then you turn another. The word has something about changing your mind, getting above your own way of thinking. But repentance here, I want you to think about in terms of alignment, that God speaks and we say yes to what God says. Even if what God says exposes us, even if what God says does not feel good, even if it, what God says doesn't pat us on the back and make us feel good about the things that we've done in our life, we say, yes, God, you are right. Repentance is about opening our hearts to let that voice that is crying in the wilderness come in and do that demolition work, to cast down those mountains, to raise up the valleys, to make the path straight so that the king of glory 
might come in. And when the word of God is spoken and it exposes us, there's two ways to react. There's the Adam way and there's the Isaiah way. The Adam way is hiding. The Adam way is I'm covering myself. You expose me, I'll cover myself. Then when you call me on that, I'm just gonna blame. So the Adam way is it's not me, it's her. It's this woman you gave me, it's her fault. God's word comes, we hide. God's word comes, we run. God's word comes, we blame. That's the Adam way. The other way is the Isaiah way, which is in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when he sees God for who he is and he hears the seraphim crying, he says what? Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. That's repentance. That's the word of the Lord coming in and Isaiah coming into alignment with that. Yes, God, you're right. And what does God do for Isaiah? He doesn't leave him hanging. He meets him in that repentance. He cleanses his lips and he calls him. So the crowd comes to John the Baptist and says, what then shall we do? How do we bear fruit in keeping with repentance? And here's John's answer. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers who asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. For all this high level stuff that's going on, John gets very practical very quick. And he thinks in terms and he speaks in terms of what do you have and how do you relate to the things that you have? So if you have two tunics, are you, do you see your other tunic as an opportunity to bless someone else? If you have extra food and money and resources, do you see that as an opportunity to share with someone else? And then these two professions, tax collectors and soldiers, I find this utterly fascinating because tax collectors are so loathed and hated in their culture. He doesn't say, stop being a tax collector. Isn't that interesting? John is saying on some level, there's a righteous way to be this thing that seems to be inherently unrighteous. And same thing to the soldier, right? He doesn't tell them to stop being soldiers. What does he tell them? Well, he tells the tax collectors, stop stealing from people. Stop telling people that they owe more than they do so that you can pocket it. We see that dynamic going on in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a great story of repentance. The Lord says to him, come down from that tree, I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus invites the Lord in, his whole world gets thrown upside down. As a tax collector, he says, I'm gonna give everything back. Everything that I took that was extra, I'm gonna give it back and then some. That's repentance. How do we know Zacchaeus repented? Because he gave back what he had extorted. And you may have heard the term shakedown before. You know, get somebody getting shaken down. That's what he says to the soldiers. Don't be shakedown artists. Okay, don't use your power. Don't use your authority. Don't use your access. Don't use the fact that you're feared to extort, to shake people down. So these are fruits that bear with Repentance. And there's any number of practical ways that you can think about this in your own life. What are the two tunics in your own life that you might be able to share? 
What is the extra food or resources or money that you might be able to share with those who don't? Or even in our own professions, what is the righteous way for us to be whatever it is that God has called us to be in whatever field he's called us to be in it? Because in some ways, Jay and I, you know, we are in our own little bubble. We, there's obviously unrighteous ways to do our job, but it, there's kind of a clear path, things you do and don't do. Maybe it's not so clear in your own job. It's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of seeking wise counsel. What does it look like for me to be righteous in my own job, to bear fruits in keeping with repentance? And this is all well and good. And I think it's the right question. I think the crowd asked the right question. What then shall we do? And I think John gave them really good practical answers. But we cannot forget that John is not the end of the story. John is the one who stands between the old age and the new age. And he speaks of that one who is coming. Because this crowd is saying, nobody's talked like this for like 400 years, John. You must be something special. Are you the Messiah? And what does John say? I baptize you with water, but he who is coming is mightier than I. He who is mightier than I is coming and the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John knows who he is, what he's been called to do. Jesus would say of him, no greater man has been born of woman, and yet you are greater than him because you have seen me. John is not the end of the story. His work is preparatory work. So the question that we are left is, if we're supposed to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, what happens when we don't? Where are we when we don't? What happens when the ax is laid to the root of the tree and that tree gets cut down? That's a question that John the Baptist can't completely answer. That's, only, that's a question that only the one who is coming can answer. And Isaiah saw this in his prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah writes, there shall come forth a shoot from what? The stump of Jesse. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his root shall what? Bear fruit. That tree's been cut down. It's been cast in the fire and yet that's not the end of the story. God brings forth from that stump a shoot to fulfill his promise to the house of David, the son of Jesse, to be a blessing to all the world, to call all people to himself. And that one will be the one who bears fruit in great abundance. So think of it, Jesus goes into those baptismal waters of John's, he passes back into the promised land and he becomes the one who is fruitful for us so that eventually we can become those who bear fruit. So our faith can never be about ourselves and our ability to bear fruit. Our faith can never be, hey, I'm sharing my tunics. I'm giving away my extra food. Aren't I doing okay? That just becomes another version of, don't say to yourselves that you're a child of Abraham. God can raise up children from Abraham, of Abraham from stones. See, that's an act of grace. If God can say to a stone, you're my child, 
That's resurrection power. That's light into darkness power. That's grace. That's our hope. Our hope is that there's a root that comes out of the stump of Jesse, not in ourselves, not in our ability to bear fruit. It doesn't mean that those other things are not important. It doesn't mean that we're not called to think deeply about how we bear fruit in our own lives, but we bear that fruit because we have been united with him who is the vine and we are the branches. And that is what Advent is about. Advent is about saying, come Lord Jesus, in the midst of that anguish of waiting, where we'd rather shock ourselves than wait, we say, come Lord Jesus. And that's why I love this collect. It gets right to the point. Stir up your power. God, I need you to act decisively. I cannot do this on my own. I'm not enough. I cannot produce enough fruit. Stir up your power. And with great might come among us. We need God to act. Then there's the admittance of where we are, the coming into alignment with what God says because we are sorely hindered by our sins. Let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. God, you're the one who can speak to a stone and call it your son or your daughter. You can raise up children from yourself. You can resurrect. You can speak light into darkness. We need you to come. We need you to act decisively. In speaking with you over the course of Advent, I know that this is a hard season for a lot of people. Um, partly it's hard just because it's the end of the year. It can be hard for businesses. It can be hard in the church world. It can be hard in any number of reasons. It can be hard, especially for family reasons, because you have intense time with your family. Um, there's something about this season that amps up this feeling of, I need God <laughs> to come in. I need the King of glory to act decisively. So that's the question is, where do you need God to act decisively? Where do you need God to stir up his power? Before we can ever get to the question of what then shall I do, we have to get to that first question, which is, where do I need God to act? Where do I need his grace? Where do I need his mercy? Where do I need his goodness? Let us pray. Lord, we do ask that you would stir up your power and we do thank you for prophets like John who tell us to wake up, who show us that our hearts in places need to be leveled and in other places need to be raised up. And Lord, we do wanna be a fruitful people, but more than that, we wanna be united to your fruitful son. And we thank you, Lord, that he is the one who came. He is the one who acted decisively he is the one who has borne much fruit and you have united us to him and we thank you for that. Lord, even now we lift up those places in our own lives, our own hearts, our own families, our own careers, our own circumstances where we need you to act decisively. Just take a moment of silence and lift those things up to the Lord. Stir up your power, O Lord. Act in a decisive way for us as a church, for us in each of our families, for us in our careers, 
in all the places that were just lifted to you, Lord, we ask you to act decisively. And we thank you and praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.